You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Woo! Happy Wednesday. It's Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana sports station. Happy hump day, everybody. Matt Miguez here. You there. Crazy day in sports yet again uh you know this NFL offseason has just you thought that it was already crazy and it just slowly gets crazier so we got NFL free agency to talk about LSU introduced their new head man for basketball Mr. Matt McMahon we'll talk about that the Astros have dived deep into spring training and said goodbye to a Old friend. We'll talk about that. LSU and UL baseball tonight. We'll get you ready for that. And James and I will talk about his favorite topic, March Madness. Phone lines are open 706-0111 on the game hotline. And here in Acadiana, you can watch a simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and LUS Fiber Channel 133. It's now time to bring in the producer extraordinaire, and the guy that I like to call the co-host with the most, Mr. James Mesh. Straight up, no cap. How you doing, Matt? Good, buddy. How are you? Doing all right myself. So, free agency, you and I were talking about earlier just how insane this NFL offseason has been. Uh, last night, Teron Armstead agreed to a five-year, $75 million deal with the Miami Dolphins. And then, a little more than 12 hours later, the Dolphins make a trade with Kansas City for Tyreek Hill. Have the Dolphins finally decided that they're tired of being mediocre? They definitely need to get rid of... Well, they don't have to, but in my personal opinion, they need to not have Tua. Oh, no. Oh, no, you're not one of those. I, I just haven't been impressed with Tua since oh, he got injured and then rushed himself back to play against LSU in 2019. He hasn't been the same since, it feels oh, like. I mean... Like, if you watch his decision-making, I remember he threw a touchdown pass to Mike Jacecki, but it was in triple coverage. It was more of the fact that Jacecki just out-muscled the other three defenders. It was, yeah. it was a really bad read, and he often just dumps it off... Other than the occasional seven-yard slide after a scramble, what what does he do that really impresses you? Because he's a he's not even a natural lefty. He forced himself to be left because of his dad. Forced him to be lefty because they thought he was going to be a pitcher for baseball originally. And when you watch it, it's not a good ball. It's very much a mallard. But okay, so here's here's the question: you you spend a top five pick. To get this guy, say you move on from Tua, where do you turn at quarterback? Well, there's not much you can do at this point. You, uh, most of the QB market is gone. But if they would have actually gone out, which I already knew, I already knew they were going to keep him because that's why they. That's part of the main reason why they got rid of Flores because Flores didn't want him as the QB either. 
But obviously the the front office for the Dolphins wanted him. So I'm not surprised that they're going to keep him. They're going to build around him. And I'm not going to instantly throw shade at Tua if they don't automatically figure it out. Because obviously when it comes to a wide receiver and QB, they do need some time. So I would say toward the end of the season and at the start of next season, if we're not seeing a good connection between Tua and his new receivers and his new weapons, yeah, I, I think there's more of a cause for concern. No, uh, agreed. And that's another thing you got to look at. His two years in the NFL, he has yet to play a full season. Because even in 2021, he only appeared in 13 games. So he's yet to play a full 16 or, or now 17 game season. So, and I, and I agree with you. His decision making doesn't look as great as it did at Alabama. His throwing ability doesn't look as good as it did at Alabama. His scramble ability hasn't been the same since he got, since since he he got hurt. Injured, since he got hurt yeah. and then rushed himself back to play LSU. And even in that game, it, it was shocker the the second half. I don't know what happened with LSU's defense, but he was throwing bombs. But the first half, he, he LSU had him in a box, like they had his number, and he looked like it made it look like Nick Saban had rushed him. Yeah, I, I agree. I just I I I'm on the fence that you need to give him a full 17 game season before. You make major assumptions. Yeah, because I'm not, I'm not fully off of it. I mean, I was never really on it to begin with, because since then he hasn't been as impressive. And I was thinking, well, they don't really have anybody to throw to all that much. Nobody's really impressive to me. That's a real difference maker that can help him and help the offense be more productive. But now that they have Jalen Waddle a year in, and he was spectacular as a rookie. Now that they have Tyreek, they sign Chase Edmonds. They sign yet another 49ers running back, Raheem Mostert, who hopefully doesn't have another season-ending injury by hey, week three. More more touches for my guy Eli Mitchell on the Bay. It is. I'm okay with that. Totally fine. But when it comes to Dolphins, right? they've got weapons now. They have They have weapons. So at this point, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna start throwing shade like week five, week six, and be like, why aren't they figuring it out? I, I w- I'm gonna actually give it time, even though I'm not a fan of Tuna Tua, I would still give a fair assessment to be like, okay, well now he has weapons, but we know it takes time to build to build that rapport, build that connection. So but if we don't see it toward the end of the year, by game fifteen, sixteen, nope. seventeen, and if they make the playoffs, if we still don't see it. And then there, then then there's a little bit of concern, right? Then and, there's and, a little more talk about that. And and you got to think that next year's draft class is going to be more quarterback heavy than than this one, right? You never have two bad quarterback classes back to back. Twenty thirteen was pretty bad. Thinking off top, that was that one was bad. Twenty fourteen wasn't wasn't all that bad. Twenty thirteen, it was like EJ Manuel in them. Oh, yeah, that was a bad class, wasn't it? Yeah. So in 2023, you're going to have... You you might have Bryce Young. So CJ Stroud. Okay. 
It's not bad. Bryce Young. Mm-hmm. You're going to have Anthony Richardson from Florida. And my computer just froze on me as I was trying to. So already just reading three names, it, it's already looking more promising than than this year's class. Once again, phone lines are open, 706-0111. Let's head to the phone line now. Uh, Chris joins the show. What's going on, Chris? Hey, thanks thanks for taking my call. Beautiful day today after that horrible weather yesterday. But, uh, you know, Tyreek Hill, man, if, if, if Tyreek Hill can get traded, man, pretty much anybody can get traded. That dude is, that dude is awesome. But, um, yeah, you got to wonder with the quarterback position over there in Miami. I mean, he had Mahomes. Um, will he still be as, you know, productive? I don't know. But the big question of the day for Saints fans, we done lost, we done lost Armstead. Um, so what what do you guys think, man? Is there anybody out there on the market? Are we gonna are we gonna be maybe drafting a a rookie at that position? Uh, I'll hang up and enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks. Hey, thanks for the call, Chris. Um, you know that that tackle spot's going to be tricky. I don't know of any tackles still on the market that are worth the Saints exploring because if you look at their cap space, now that they've signed Jameis Winston, you don't have too much room to play with. Um, You know, you got Daryl Williams, who's a 29-year-old from Buffalo, but he's a right tackle, so I mean, you'd have to get him to switch to the left side. Looking at looking at this, everybody available is a right tackle. You could go get Eric Fisher. You could go get Eric Fisher because I think the Colts replaced their left tackle. So yeah, Eric Fisher's still available. Nate Solder's available. Which Nate Solder? He didn't. He didn't do anything good for right, for and the and also he's thirty three. Yeah, Eric Fisher's thirty one. Yeah, which is which is not as bad. But the point of the left tackle right now is you just have someone to fill in until you can get that permanent replacement. What do you think about Julian Davenport uh, from the Colts? He's twenty seven. See, if you go younger at that position, then you're potentially committing more to him even though that's not necessarily what you want you want to get somebody a little older that is serviceable like somebody like Dwayne Brown who is 36 I believe yeah but I think the Seahawks are really more into bringing him back that way they have their left tackle for the year I wouldn't mind Eric Fisher on like a two-year deal that's what I'm saying and then you draft somebody and let them sit Mm -hmm. and then once once they're ready you figure it out between yeah I'd be okay with between that. the the one that you draft and Landon Young. So realistic, realistically, a, a guy like Eric Fisher, how much are you paying him? Well, it's weird because we thought the tackle position, especially the left tackle side, we thought they would jump up in price this year. But you look on average, we thought it was going to jump to twenty. Armstead's only getting paid fifteen, so his or seven seventeen a year. Fisher's salary with Indy was. A max value of nine point four. Yeah, and Leo Collins, who signed with the Bengals, yeah, his is only on average ten. So yeah. it's a lot lower than we thought we, it would be. And the fact that this is starting to 
get low. I th- I think you sign him to a two year, twenty million. Not even. You think you could get away with cheaper? I think you could get away with cheaper. I think you could get him at two years, fourteen. If that's the case, hell yeah, and, let's do it. And and this first year, you would have it be near the veteran minimum, like two million with a like three million and in a bonus. Yeah. And then you push the second year since the cap is supposed to jump up significantly for next off season. You push, you push most of that contract toward next year and then you would still trade them. And if you really need to, with some of the cap, you can always rework it because that's what the saints do with every contract. Luminomics. Exactly. Uh, Before we take a break, take a look at our poll question of the day on Twitter. Early expectations for the Astros in 2022. Do they not even make the playoffs? Do they only win the division? Do they make the ALCS or do they go to the World Series? So far, 25% of you say World Series. 25% say ALCS. 42% say division champs. And 8% say that they will miss the playoffs entirely. Uh, Comment from Tan. I think they'll take the division but get knocked out first round of the playoffs. I don't know. We'll see. Timeout number one here on Crunch Time with me, Gaz and Mesh. And when we come back, going to talk a little bit Cajuns baseball. Get you set up for tonight's contest down in Thibodeau between the Cajuns and the Colonels of Nickel State. Don't go anywhere. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. It's Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now, back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Protect yourself against upsets this March with Bracket Parlay Insurance on FanDuel Sportsbook. Right now, all customers can get $25 back each day if your parlay of three legs or more just falls just one leg short. There's no better way. There's no way the NCAA will let Coach K and Duke get out of this tournament and have him retire without them getting at least to the Final Four. And also include those in your parlays to just be a straight up win. Plus, parlays are great because you can turn a small bet into a really big payday. Also, if you're new to FanDuel, just sign up with promo code KLWB. Then you can bet the bracket all tournament long. That's promo code KLWB on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. You must be 21 and older and present in Louisiana and permitted parishes only. If exactly one leg falls short, refund issue is non-withdrawable site credit that expires in seven days. The NCAA tournament sportsbook wager required only. Restrictions do apply. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. And if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-877-770-STOP. Welcome back to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. It's time to talk some Cajuns baseball. But before we get into that, James, did I notice in your fan story just now that that you think that the NCAA has control over who moves on? Well, I'm saying You think it's rigged? Maybe a little bit. Ooh. <laughs> conspiracy theory. I, I don't think you can let a legendary coach go out like that. I mean, I'm with you, but oof. You think you think that you think they're gonna beat Gonzaga? 
Or no, is it Texas Tech? I was going to say they play Texas they play. Tech, and if they move on, then they, they'd play the winner of Gonzaga and Arkansas. Gotcha. Uh, I don't know. I mean, Gonzaga's win last time, it was kind of a little shaky at first. I don't know if Duke's going to beat Texas Tech. All I'm saying is if if there is a weird call or something where it's, something's a little funky going on, don't be surprised if it goes in Duke's favor. Ooh, That's all, all I'm right. saying. All right. All right, let's talk some Cajuns baseball now. They got a midweek in-state competition tonight in Thibodeau against the Nichols State Colonels. Cajuns 9-10 and 10 on the year and currently riding a three-game losing streak. Nichols, on the other hand, 9-9. Nine and nine. They're on a two-game losing streak. But if you look at their season... Tulane has been a team that they've already faced twice, and uh, Tulane beat them both times. But both times it was very respectable, seven to five in the first contest, and then last week it was five to three. And uh, Tulane has been in and out of the top twenty-five all season long. Another big win that they got this season so far is they were at home against Louisiana Tech a couple weeks ago, beat them five to four. Took two out of three against Memphis. Swept Mississippi Valley State, and then they won one out of four against Missouri to open up the season. Looking at their statistics, uh, their leading batter, Jaden Calera, has appeared in 14 games of their 18. He is hitting 405 on the year, 15 base hits, six RBIs, and a slugging percentage of 405. Uh, their top hitter that has played in all 18 games is Parker Kodu, a 333 batting average, 20 hits, three doubles, one triple, two homers, eight RBIs, and a slugging percentage of 517. Zane Washington as well, 323, 21 base hits, two doubles, four homers, 13 RBIs. Pitching for the Colonels, their main guy is Brandon Andrews. He's got a 2.35 ERA, six appearances on the season, seven and two-thirds innings pitched, seven hits, three runs, nine strikeouts. Their strikeout leader is Tyler Terrio. He started four games with a three-and-one record, a 2.63 ERA, 24 innings pitched, only giving up 17 hits, 12 runs, seven of those earned, walked eight, struck out 18 and opponents have a batting average of 185 against him. You know, this is a this is always a game, you know, Coach Deggs alluded to it yesterday. This is a hard matchup for the Cajuns because you never know what Nichols is going to present. And then at the same time, you know, we talked about this yesterday as well, Seth Thibodeau, the Cajuns pitching coach this year, was the head coach at Nichols for a number of years before this. He was let go at the end of the 2021 season. So not only is it an in-state rivalry game that you know you always want to win every single one of those, but at the same time, it means a little more this year because of that tie between Seth Thibodeau and the Nichols program. Uh, Nichols, after tonight's game against Louisiana, they will go to Hammond 
to play a three-game set with Southeastern to open up Southland Conference play. Next Wednesday, they will host Lamar and then host the McNeese Cowboys next weekend. The Cajuns, on the other hand, after tonight's game, they will return home to ML Teagmore Field at Russo Park to play number 29-ranked South Alabama, 6 o'clock on Friday, 2 o'clock on Saturday, and 1 o'clock on Sunday. The weather's supposed to be absolutely beautiful this weekend. Looking forward to that. Cajuns softball. Now, they've got a weekend series with UT Arlington this weekend, Friday at 6, Saturday at 2, and Sunday at 12 from Yvette Girard Field at Lampson Park. UTA is riding, I want to say, a five-game winning streak is what is what Coach Glasgow said yesterday. Looking at the statistics for the Cajuns, hitting, you know, maybe it's because I just, I'm not as in tune with softball. But looking at their numbers, you have five players that have played 20 or more games on the season and are hitting 400 plus. Jenna Keen at 440, Jordan Campbell at 433, Maddie Hayden at 412, Stormy Kotzelnik at 411, and Kramer is set at 400. Looking at Jenna Keen batting 440, 11 base hits, 14 runs, a double, and four RBIs. Their leading home run machine, Alexa Langliers, has five. Jordan Campbell has five. Stormy Kotzelnik has added two. Laney Crater with three. Carly Heath, the pitching and hitting aficionado, has four. And then looking at their pitching numbers, man, Sam Landry. Sam Landry has been phenomenal. The freshman was the fourth overall recruit from a year ago. Ten appearances, has started nine games, has a record of seven and two. A ERA of 2.48. She has 36 and two-thirds innings pitched. 24 hits, only given up 14 runs, has walked 17 batters, and has struck out 57. But your ace, Kendra Lamb, a 2.43 ERA, 14 appearances, 9 starts, 5 and 4. 49 innings pitched, 29 hits, 21 runs, 23 23 walks, excuse me, but 73 strikeouts. The Cajuns are already at 200 strikeouts on the year from their pitching staff. Absolutely electric. Once again, 6 o'clock on Friday, softball and baseball playing at the same time on Friday night, and then 2 o'clock on Saturday and noon on Sunday. We'll take a timeout. When we come back, Chandler Rome, an old friend of ours from the Houston Chronicle, We'll stop in to talk about the Houston Astros spring training prospects coming up in the ranks. And he had a conversation with the newest member of the Minnesota Twins today. We'll get his input on the Carlos Correa situation and so much more when we return to crunch time here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. They could debate who should win the MVP, but they'd rather argue who has the best hair in sports talk radio. We just washed the hair. You know, I worked on my hair a long time, and you you hit it. It hits my hair. 
Now back to more of the stylish crunch time with Miguez and Mash here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The Hangout Music Festival is returning this summer to Gulf Shores in the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles has your tickets to this epic weekend of music. You can score VIP passes by becoming a member of the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. Don't miss the return of Hangout Music Fest featuring Post Malone, Halsey, and Megan Thee Stallion just to name a couple of the artists. That's the Hangout Music Fest, May 20th to 22nd in Gulf Shores. Win VIP passes from the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Welcome back to the styling and profiling. Crunch time with Miguez and Mesh right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Another word that I could use that rhymes with that set is flying. And baseballs were flying in Palm Beach today as the Astros took down the Cardinals 10-3. to The Astros getting their first win of spring training. And here to talk about that and a few other things happening down in Palm Beach is Chandler Rome with the Houston Chronicle. Chandler, good afternoon, my man. How are you? I'm good. How are y'all? Oh, man, doing well, doing well. So looking at the box score for you know this game today, Justin Verlander getting the win, two and two-thirds innings pitched, two strikeouts, one walk. In In his limited appearances so far in spring training, it seems like He's coming along very, very well. What can you tell us about his recovery? Um, well, first of all, I just kind of want to be upfront that I, I wasn't at the game today. I was in Fort Myers talking to Carlos Correa, so I, I did not actually watch Verlander pitch today. But um, just looking at the box score and kind of seeing what he told reporters back in Palm Beach, it, I mean, it seems like it's about as best case scenario as can be. Um, he's recovering well. I think the, the biggest thing is that he's healthy. Um, he's recovering well from both of his starts. He probably won't be built up to go 100 pitches right off um, on opening day when he makes his first start. But, um, you know, the fastball is 94, 95. He, he's getting out. So, I mean, it looks kind of like vintage Verlander. So that's about his best-case scenario for the Astros, who um, obviously won't have Lance McCullers to start the to start the year and kind of need that hoss atop the rotation. It certainly looks like Verlander's going to do that. Yeah, you you brought up Lance McCullers Jr. What's the latest on on his status? Uh, obviously, you just said you know he's not going to be ready for the start of the season. But when could we expect him in the rotation? Yeah, he's got a flexor tendon strain, and and as of this moment, he's still not even throwing. Um, so he's going to have to start throwing. And I mean, that's uh, I think a lot of people don't understand, especially for a starting pitcher. Um, it takes three or four weeks to build up to become a traditional starter once you start throwing. So he's not even throwing yet. There is no timetable as to when he will throw. I'd be shocked if he pitches in April. Um, Looking like May or June is probably a a more realistic target, but even then it's difficult to kind of put that in stone either just because there's a lot of unknowns here. They're just doing a lot of rest, a lot of rehab, and um, they're going to kind of listen to his body, listen to his arm. Obviously he's had Tommy John already once, and they they don't want to mess with that. So – um, April, I would say for now, is, is pretty easily out of the question. Um, I, I'd look to best case scenario would probably be May or June. Chandler Rome of the Houston Chronicle joining us here on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Chandler, you were in Fort Myers today talking with Carlos Correa. What can you tell us about that conversation and where is he at from a, from a standpoint now that he's a member of the Minnesota Twins? 
Yeah, um, Carlos basically confirmed on the record everything that, that we had reported at the Chronicle over this past week and some other places reported, too, that the Astros um, were not interested. They, they did not show any interest after the lockout, contrary to what Jim Crane told a television station on the record during Correa's free agency. Um, it's pretty baffling given the, the, the contract that he signed. It's one that would have been amenable to what the Astros tend to do in free agency. They do tend to do these shorter-term deals in free agency. He knew, and we all knew, that the Astros were never going to give him the, the big, long, mega deal. Um, but when his market shifted and he and Scott Boris kind of talked and decided that they were going to do, take a short-term deal, it seemed like the Astros were in pretty good position for that because, like I said, that's kind of what they've um, done in the past. And the fact that they showed no interest, the fact that they didn't make him an offer after uh, after the lockout, it, it raises a couple of questions. Like, I mean, their payroll, while it's not meager by any stretch, it's about $30 million lower now than it was last year. And they haven't added much. Um, are they? Did Jim Crane give a directive to slash payroll? Are they done adding? Um, you know, they do have the financial wherewithal if they want to to take on a, a big contract at the trade deadline, but you're also assuming that, A, there's going to be big contract name players available at the deadline, and, B, that you're going to be active at the deadline. Now, the Astros have to make sure that they're in a position where they all want to be active. So there's a lot of questions here that really haven't gone answered other than from Correa. Um, Jim Crane has not spoken since. Uh, since the deal became official. He released a statement today that was the equivalent of word salad. It said absolutely nothing. So um, he he has some questions to answer, quite frankly, and it's it's pretty baffling how this all how this all played out. Yeah, that's incredibly shocking that a player of Carlos Correa's caliber and how long he's been with the franchise that an offer wasn't even distributed. Um, you know, so now Carlos Correa is with the Twins. Obviously, the Astros missed out on Trevor Story as well as he's now a member of the Boston Red Sox. So is that the Astros' way of saying that they are 100% sold on Jeremy Pena? It certainly seems that way. Um, they've Every indication they've given is that he's going to be the front runner. He's the guy that they're going to hand the keys to on opening day. He started, started his first Grapefruit League game day, let off, and then I, what I thought was also interesting was that um, when he came out of the game, Aledmus Diaz went to shortstop which um, usually it'd be the other way around if they really wanted to get Pena, you know, slow play him a little bit. So to me, that would signal that um, he is definitely the front runner. Um, he's not, um, you know, look, they, they love him as a defensive prospect. They know he can pick it. I know he turned a really impressive double play today against the Cardinals that had some people talking, but uh, the hit tool is going to take some time. There are a lot of scouts, a lot of talent evaluators that wonder if, his hit tool is going to translate to the major league level. Um, it's worth noting that this, this guy has only played 30 games above high A. He skipped double A altogether, played 30 games at triple A, and now he's poised to be the opening day shortstop, which um, that, that, there's a lot of variables there. There's a lot of unknowns. Uh, maybe, he, maybe he takes off and runs with it. and Maybe he's uh, the second coming of Carlos Correa and you know, has a great rookie season, and that would be great for the Astros and would certainly – validate some of the decisions they've made here in the last couple of days, but um, expecting that, I think, is a little short-sighted, and I just don't see um, I, I just, going into the season expecting that, to me, just seems a little bit foolish. 
chatting with Chandler Rome of the Houston Chronicle. So, again, you know, bringing up the pitchers again, Justin Verlander, Lance McCullers Jr., who else in this rotation beyond them since Garrett Cole has departed? Who, you know, in, in the in the postseason last year, you saw Phil Maton and, you know, Fran Bravaldez. Who who should the Astros fans, you know, look for to, to kind of fill out that pitching rotation? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be some of the same names that you've heard. Jake Odorizzi, who pitched yesterday and looked – Looks pretty good. You know, he's going to have a much bigger role on this team than he did last year, obviously. It's a little more normal spring training for him. He didn't sign late. He didn't come late. I mean, he's able to be normal. I think Jacob Rizzi is probably one of the unsung keys to this team in 2022. Like, can he be effective? Can he throw a lot of innings? Because if you slot him third or fourth in that rotation, and he can be durable and be a the quality major league starter he's been his whole career. I think that's a game-changer. And then you also have Jose Arquiti, who's supposed to throw tomorrow night in West Palm. They've got Luis Garcia, who finished second rookie of the year last year. And so, I mean, look, they've got depth. They've got enough pitching to compensate for McCullers' injury. And that's probably, you know, the one place where you never want to see anyone get hurt, but that's probably the one place where they could have afforded an injury, where they could have, like, and it not just careened the season off the track. So, Obviously, they want McCullers back. Um, his quality and his quantity last year were, were two things that really impressed them. But until he gets back, they've got enough starting depth to compensate. But um, like they always say, you're always one injury away from having not enough starting pitching. And that's kind of the key here. They're down and now they're, they're another injury away from things going awry again. Yeah, you know, one more, one more question that I've got for you, and this one's a little more, you know, lighthearted. Uh, Sunday's spring training game between the Astros and the Nationals, the the pregame lineup card distribution was uh, was Dusty Baker, and then representing the Nationals was his son Darren. You know how cool was was a moment like that, not only for for Dusty and his son, but just you know Astros fans in general seeing because because Darren's been you know, in the news before as, as Dusty's son. So to see everything kind of come full circle, what was that like? Yeah, it was cool. And especially because the Nats kind of did it as a surprise. Dusty didn't know it was coming. Um, Dusty managed Dave Martinez, who's the Nats manager now. And Dave wanted to make sure that he kept it as a surprise. And, you know, they sent Darren out. And you could tell Dusty was a little shocked. And they, they hugged at home play. But I think the cooler thing, obviously, for Dusty was that Darren actually got in the game. He got in the game in the sixth inning and came up and had a base hit in the seventh. And then I know these games don't matter and the results don't matter, but he did drive in the go-ahead run to uh, he did drive in the go-ahead run to win that game for the Nationals. So a really cool day, a really cool full circle moment for Dusty, who um, it's no secret is probably this is probably going to be his last year managing, barring something pretty unforeseen. And you know to have that to be able to see his son manage against his son was certainly a cool thing. And I could tell, we all could tell that it really meant a lot to him that, that they were able to do that early in spring. Yeah. Moments, moments like that are definitely what makes sports, you know, so, so enjoyable for a lot of people. Chandler, I appreciate you taking the time, man. And uh, as, as the season gets going, I'm sure we'll have you on again. All right. Thanks guys. Chandler Rome of the Houston Chronicle. We'll take a time out. And when we return, We'll talk some McNeese Diamond Sports, especially McNeese Softball. 
having a home game tonight against Southern Miss before going to Corpus Christi this weekend. This is the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. From the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to the latest with the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans. Miguez and Mesh cover it all. I'm not worried. Uh, I think it's something that I can get under control. Now back to more crunch time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station wants to give you a chance to score the ultimate crawfish boil. Brought to you by J&J Exterminating, Primer Equipment, and Cody's Crawfish. You can win two live sacks of crawfish, a pot, a burner, an ice chest, tumbler, chairs, a $500 Visa gift card, and tickets to an Astros game. So sign up today for the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com so you can score the ultimate crawfish boil from J&J Exterminating, Kramer Equipment, Cody's Crawfish, and the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Welcome back to Crunch Time with me, guys, and Mesh right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. McNeese Softball has a big home game tonight against Southern Miss, 630 from Joe Miller Field at Cowgirl Diamond. And at Monday's press conference, Coach Landrino was talking about how the conference has changed from a, a talent scouting perspective? Without a doubt. Uh, I, I think I think what you've seen is a lot of coaching change across our conference over the last few years, and everybody wants to be a little bit more competitive and realize that, hey, and that I also think when you play tougher schedules that it's going to allow you to, to go get better players. You know, the, the true competitors out there want to play a tough schedule. They want to be matched up against the best teams in the country. And so I think, you know, by our conference scheduling tougher – you're definitely seeing more talent within our conference. And you see some ADs made some really good hires and some competitive coaches. And I think the biggest thing we're noticing is you're seeing really well-coached teams. And that's that's been a big difference. And I think they're doing a better job of scouting. I think, you know, just everything has changed in our game. With, with so many games on ESPN+, Plus, uh, scouting has just become a huge part. Staying on that topic, another thing – that, that Coach Langerno mentioned is the adversity that they have faced this season and, and how he wants to handle it. And the way they are able to respond and come to work every day is what's going to carry it, make the difference. And I always say, you know, it's not the adversity, it's, it's how you handle it. Because adversity is going to be there regardless. And, and I think that we've been able to handle it really well. And, you know, I, obviously I love that we're athletic and we're getting better at the, on the offensive side and I, I love the fact that, you know, Sanders is coming in, pitching well for us as of late. You know, I think as Whitney, the season goes on, Whitney Tate will be a lot better. And Vallejo showed that she could have some big-time strikeout power against some good hitters. So uh, I love the fact that we could, I feel we could pitch it. We're athletic across the board. But I think ultimately what's going to be the difference is that our ability to handle adversity and learn. Once again, softball taking on Southern Miss tonight from Joe Miller Field. It's so interesting because McNeese baseball is Joe Miller Park. McNeese softball is Joe Miller Field. But talking about their opponent tonight, the Golden Eagles 18-11 and 11 on the season. And got a win over number four Florida. And then played very closely with the University of Alabama. Coach Landrino 
talked about the takeaways for the game? Like I said, you know, the biggest thing for us is cleaning up these little mishaps, base running, a couple costly errors in that game. Uh, kids stayed in and stayed in a fight, came back the next day after a disappointing loss. And, you know, one one thing that, that's interesting is regardless of their struggle, they're sitting at 12 and 14 on the year. Not only the coaching staff, but the players themselves, they feel like they're still in it. When they lose, I just think a win against a quality opponent. I think the way our team has really approached the season is, and I think in softball, if you look across the country, it's not so much the power five status as much as a good program, historically good program. And we know, you know, Coach Moore has been there 22 years and done an unbelievable job of that Baylor program. And, you know, this is the same thing as when you're playing like UNLV and, and playing a, a really good Boise State team. Uh, it's about being able to to win games against good opponents, and, and that's what it was. And I think for our players, it's two folds. It's, it's kind of like, hey, we let one, we had an opportunity to win two, and we let one slip away. We were able to get one from them, but um, also, okay, the one we let we slip away, we have some correct, you know, we have some mistakes that we could be corrected. We're not overmatched. Even the, the last game, I thought, you know, Ashley gives up the two run home run in the first. And then she doesn't give up a run until the sixth. And so our kids know that no matter who we're playing. Taking a look at our poll question of the day. Early expectations for the Astros in 2022. James, where do you stand on this? I'm leaning more towards division champs. I don't, I'm still trying to figure out on the fence whether they will actually win the first series or if they'll only just get into the playoffs and then they're uh first round exit yeah because I, I still don't know exactly about this roster since you did lose Correa still filling out the roster right now but early stance right now I would have to say I, I think they'll get into the playoffs but that's about as far as they'll go yeah you know I think I think they're gonna make an appearance in the ALCS again but I could see that because, like you mentioned, you don't have Correa. You still haven't fully recovered from losing George Springer. Alex Bregman was injured most of the year last year. There's just a lot of unknowns going into this year. Looking at our poll question, 7% of you say that the Astros will miss the playoffs entirely. 43% say that they're going to be division champs. 21% say they will make the ALCS. And 29% say that they will make it all the way to the World Series. In our number two, we're going to be joined by Wilson Alexander, get his take on today's press conference with Matt McMahon. We'll ask his thoughts on Brian Kelly's press conference from opening of spring football. Talk some baseballs. They've got a big game at the box tonight against Louisiana Tech. And we will also... Take your phone calls. It's Wednesday. It's hump day. The week's halfway over. So just hang on a little bit tighter, and we're going to get you through it. Right here on the game, 103.7 Lafayette and 104.1 Lake Charles. Hour number two, Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh coming at you on the other side of this break. Don't go anywhere. You're clocked out. We're locked in. 
You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh right here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, hour number two of the show. In hour number one, we talked some NFL free agency and how insane of a ride that it's been. We talked some Cajuns baseball and softball. We talked some McNeese Cajuns in softball. And we talked some Astros with Chandler Rome of the Houston Chronicle. Here in hour number two, we're going to talk March Madness. We're going to get you set for LSU baseball tonight here on the game. We'll take your phone calls, as always. And did I mention that we were going to talk March Madness? James's favorite. He loves it. Don't let him lie to you. Taking a quick glance at our poll question. Hasn't changed much. Early expectations for the Astros in 2022. 43% say division champs. 29 say the World Series. 21 say ALCS. And 7% say missed the playoffs entirely. James, let's go back to our free agency conversation. So, and this is is more of an NFL offseason question because it's not free agency. Tyree Kill gets traded from the Chiefs to the Dolphins for a first, a second, and a fourth this year. And then a fourth and a sixth next year. And then Miami turns right around and signs him to a four-year, $120 million extension. Where is the money coming from? Thin air. Apparently. Yeah. Uh, well, I think the Dolphins actually did have a good amount of cap space anyway. So, of course, they're going to sign him. And if you're going to make a trade for this type of player of this caliber, yeah, you're going to sign him to a pretty hefty contract, especially since he's still only 28. And it feels like he's been in the league for how many years? He, was, I think he was a rookie. I think he was a rookie when Mike Thomas was a rookie. I think he was drafted in the fifth round of 2016. Yeah, I think he was too. I agree. I think so. But, yeah, you know, Tyree Kill, obviously he's done some – exceptional things here in the NFL looking at his career statistics 479 receptions for 6,636 yards that is an average of 14 yards per catch and 56 touchdowns that's interesting to hear that only 14 especially with how often you see him how often it's a deep ball yeah but you do see him often catch like quick passes and little short ones, and he kind of runs around a bit, but he doesn't really go anywhere. Look look at this. Looking at his career numbers, longest reception of each season. Rookie year, 49. Mm-hmm. Second year, 79. Third year, 75. Fourth year, 57. And then 2020 and 2021, 75. He's always there for a deep bomb. The cheetah. He catches the ball 67.7% of the time. I think that 49-yard catch, I think that was against the Saints. It probably was. I think it was. Because I remember Tyreek, before like he was the cheetah, I remember him catching like a, a catch on a deep ball before it was, yeah, it was Alex Smith, and he caught it in double coverage, and he caught it for a touchdown over two Saints players. He has made the Pro Bowl every year of his career 
and he has been voted a first-team All-Pro three times. That's crazy to think. And he's also a Super Bowl champion. Yeah, he is. Can't You can't leave that out. What a stud. What a stud. Cheetah or Ty Freak? Ty Freak. What a nickname. That's awesome. Did you come up with that? or No, you? that's on Pro Football Reference. Uh, listed under his nicknames. So he now goes to Miami, who joins, who joins, and he joins Teron Armstead in Tua Tagovailoa's offense. Is Miami slowly becoming a contender in the AFC? I don't want to say a contender just yet because jury's out on Tua still, and you can't have a mediocre quarterback with this type of talent. So I don't want to say that they're a contender. I got to see Tua actually step up with his weapons now before I would say that they are contenders. I would say they've improved. I would say that they could get the sixth or seventh seed, maybe even the fifth. But I wouldn't I wouldn't say they're contenders, no. Hmm. Phone lines are open, 706-0111. I guess we can go ahead and start our March Madness conversation. We could we could do that now, unless you want to keep the NFL conversation going, James. I'd say you got you got something to talk about. It's up to you. You want to do you want to do the first half of the bracket? You want to do the left side? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Looking at the Western Regional, Gonzaga and Arkansas. Tomorrow night in the Chase Center in San Francisco. Gonzaga looking for their seventh. It is their seventh consecutive trip to the Sweet 16 after outlasting Memphis. Uh, Obviously, they are known for their front court superstars, Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren. Their guards have delivered as well, though, here lately. Andrew Nemard and Razier Bolton combined for 40 against Memphis. And then the Razorbacks, the run-and-fun style of offense that Eric Musselman likes to call it. Uh, J.D. Note has 35 points so far in two games in the NCAA tournament, and the Razorbacks are just clicking on all cylinders. But before we finish that, let's go to the game hotline. Ralph joins the show. What's going on, Ralph? Hey, guys. How y'all doing today, man? Doing well, man. How are you? Oh man, enjoying this beautiful weather after that uh, that rough day yesterday. But um, now, look, I want to kind of go back on, on the Saints. Number one, um, you know, I wasn't surprised uh, about Armstead leaving, obviously. Uh, but were, were y'all surprised at at, at how? And I, I mean, the offseason's been crazy, but how much guaranteed money Miami threw his way, given his injury history? To be honest, no. Um... For for a couple of reasons, and yes, I, I do agree that that he has an injury history that is concerning. But he is a left tackle. He is a he is one of the most valued positions in an NFL offense. And according to multiple outlets, he was the top available free agent. So I knew that whoever signed him. Was gonna have to throw a lot his way. Now, 
ask you this, and I agree with you, you know, left tackles are the most coveted position because I guess 95% of the, of the starting quarterbacks are right-handed. But in, in theory, he, he will not be, you know, protecting to his blind side. So is it possible that he could move to right tackle, or is he just strictly signed to be their left tackle? I mean, you bring up a good point. Tua is a lefty. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they move him to right tackle. I mean, I'm not I'm not well versed on the Miami Dolphins. I don't know who their current right tackle is, but uh, I I mean, you sign a guy like Teron Armstead, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he was protecting to his blind side. And I want to just bring up one more point because uh, I I went back and looked at an article that was written back in 2021, and it's after Ryan Ramchek signed his contract extension with the Saints which made him the uh, second-highest-paid right tackle in the league at, at just over $19 million a year. But in his contract, he has an escalator built in that if he made the All-Pro or Pro Bowl, uh, well, All-Pro it was, first or second team at left tackle, he got a million-dollar bonus. So I think the Saints actually kind of were planning ahead for, for this yeah. departure. And and I, I I do think you'll see and, and that's where he played you know in college uh, left tackle, so I do think we'll see Ramchek move to left tackle, James Hurst, um, at least for now at right tackle, and and I I keep hearing how high they are on on, on Landon Young. We we didn't see a whole lot of him last year before he got hurt, but um, but he might prove to be a valuable backup too. But I'm kind of leaning now toward if there's a, a stud offensive tackle in the first round, I think that's where they go just because how deep the receiver draft is. I think they can pick up something, you know, in the second or third, you know, oh, yeah. well, hopefully second and third rounds. <laughs> but um, but anyway, that's all I wanted to mention was, uh, you know, just the, um, the, the the Dolphins point and then also the, the, the Ram check. You know, I, I just I always just consider him a right tackle. I never thought – really about that but um but apparently that was in their plans uh, as you know uh, a year ago so we'll see what happens but thanks guys enjoy the show and, and y'all have a good one man i appreciate the call ralph yeah you know I, i've never thought about that I, I didn't know that there was an escalator in ramshack's contract that would give him a bonus if he if he played left tackle so did did they maybe foresee that teron armstead wasn't coming back when his contract expired or maybe that with his injury history, the Saints didn't want him back. I don't know. That's interesting. I think that I think the fact that he would get injured every year and you would never have him for a full year probably would frustrate the office because you're one of the best. But if we're only going to have you ten Half out the year, ten out of the seventeen right. games, it's like what, what good does it do you? What are, what are we paying you for? Right. And originally, you had Ryan Ramchak as your left tackle because Teron was injured at that time before he came back. And then he came back, and then you moved Ramchek to right tackle, and it just worked out. Yeah, but you know now, now that Ralph brings up that point, I think the Saints are going to move Ramchek to left tackle, and then draft a right tackle, mm-hmm. and then keep, and then keep a uh, keep James Hurst as your sixth guy, and then you still have Landon Young as the developing player that because you don't want him on the field too much yet you still right. want him to sit and marinate before you have him out there also by the way it's austin jackson and teron armstead austin jackson he was drafted last year but you could put him on either side yeah 
So I would probably is say... Is that Miami's right tackle? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. He, he could play both sides. I think he played... He played left tackle last year, but I would probably say they'd move him to right tackle. So, yeah. I, so, now what I'm wondering, because you have James Hurst, mm-hmm. who's serviceable. You have Landon Young, who you're high on. I still, I still say go get a tackle. I don't know, man. I think you go draft Chris Olave in the first round if he's there. I think if Chris Olave is there at 18, I think you have to take him. I I believe at least one of those first round receivers is going to be at 18. I don't I don't think there will be a huge run. I think if anything, we'll ex- we'll see the quarterbacks go too high. I oh, think man. I think two or three of them are going to go before the Saints. This next month, breaking down draft profiles and whatnot is going to be and trying to decipher what's what's real and what's just a smokescreen. Right, like Drake London going number two. Get out of here. Get out of here with that mess. What if? Well, what if that actually does happen? We'll make a bet. We'll we'll laugh. We'll at, make a bet right here. We'll because, laugh. At, we'll laugh at the Lions because if if that happens, think about this for the next couple weeks. We'll make a bet about Drake London going top five. If he lands somewhere in the top five, I'll do. Well, actually, we'll let the callers decide. Callers, if you're listening, call into the show. Let's make a bet about Drake London going to the top five, and I'll do whatever the bet is. All right? You're saying this is just you? Yeah. Oh, okay. Because I, I was like, I don't I don't care whether he goes top five or not. Yeah, because I don't think he's going to go top five. I don't, I don't think so either, but I'm just saying it'd be funny if he actually did. That would be so, something Lions So let's, let's do a crunch time bet, and uh, we'll let the callers decide what the punishment is. <laughs> All right. We'll take a timeout, and when we come back, Wilson Alexander of The Advocate joins us to talk about Mac McMahon's press conference, Brian Kelly's press conference, and we'll talk some baseball before their game at the box tonight against Louisiana Tech. This is Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Time to open up the vault for the games this day in sports history. March 23rd, 1957, North Carolina takes down Kansas, 54-53 in three overtimes. Jayhawk star Wilt Chamberlain is named the most outstanding player, becoming the fourth player to earn the honor despite not winning the title. That was this day in sports history. We now return to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com can help you with your date night blues. And that's because once you become a member of our Wards Club, you will have the opportunity to win some excellent prizes like a $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House. We want to help you take your lady out for some delicious seafood, but you can only win that $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House by joining the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. Crunch time with me, guys, and Mesh right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. It was a big day in Baton Rouge. Spring football opening for the Tigers. And they've introduced a new men's basketball coach. Here to talk about all of it and to get you set up for baseball tonight. Wilson Alexander of The Advocate. Wilson, good afternoon, my man. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you this evening? Oh, man. It's a much beautiful, much more beautiful day outside today. Than it than it was yesterday, so uh, cannot complain too much. I'm gonna start with Brian Kelly 
and his press conference this afternoon about the open of spring football. What was what was the general vibe in the press conference, and, and what did Coach Kelly have to say? Yeah, I guess the vibe was a little bit lighthearted. Um, Brian was, uh, you know, had a lot of insight into this team, um, but at the same time, as he has sort of really done in most of it, I think all of his press conferences here to this point is, you know, cracked a few jokes and, um, you know, he was sort of very, um, seemed to be just in a very good mood, um, sort of positive about things, but upfront about, you know, what they have to ha- sort of have ahead of them. Um, and, um, you know, there's a lot to take away from it, um, from the quarterback competition to, um, John Emery's status and Keishan Butte and, and a couple others. Um, it was, a, it was a good start to the, to the spring here. Yeah, you know, one quote that I really liked is when when he spoke about Jack Besh and he he said talked about his mental approach to the game. How important is it to have a young guy like Besh have that veteran mindset in the locker room? It it can be huge when you have guys like that because you know, you have an underclassman who's willing to go up and you know and challenge the guys in front of him. You know, when you have younger players who who want to be great and who are working hard and, and just play the game the way that he plays it. If you're an older player, you, you can't get complacent, you know, and, and Jack is actually, when you look at this wide receiver room, um, has some of the most experience in the whole room after the role that he took on last year. Um, but it just, it just helps instill the culture, um, which is obviously such a cliche, but something that is important when you talk about, uh, sports teams and, um, really any working environment. And, um, you know, they've been trying to do get, get that right over the last few months. Um, that's really what they've been focusing on. And having a guy like Jack in there, he's someone that they're leaning on to help kind of do those sorts of things. Chatting with Wilson Alexander of The Advocate. Jaden Daniels coming in, a three-year starter at Arizona State. It, it's pretty well known that he's more than likely going to be the starter. However, Brian Kelly wants competition – at every position, you know what? What do you think the quarterback battle is going to look like, especially now that you throw a guy like Walker Howard into the room with Jaden Daniels, Miles Brennan, and Garrett Nussmeyer? Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't, I really wouldn't say that at this point. You can say with absolute certainty that Jaden Daniels is going to be the starter. They like his skill set. They think there's a lot of untapped potential there because Arizona State ran sort of a ball control offense that kind of you know, didn't really fully unleash him, especially as a runner. And so while there's a lot there that sort of suggests, okay, he might, you know, end up taking this job, they're really going to let this play out. That's kind of the fundamental truth to this whole spring is that no spot is set in stone. Everybody could lose their job. Nobody has a job either. Um, they're going to really let this thing play out over the whole spring across the board, and particularly at quarterback. Um, Miles, you know, he told Miles Brennan, uh, go earn it. Why can't it be you when they brought in Jaden Daniels? Um, they want the best player to do, sort of, you know, rise to the, to the top. And, uh, Miles is going to have a shot. Jaden's going to have a shot. Even Garrett Nussmeyer is going to have a shot. Um, a lot of them will get kind of equal reps, particularly at the beginning of the spring, and then kind of let it, the results determine where they go from there. And Walker will be, you know, in the mix as well and getting valuable reps for him. Um, but it's more likely that he, uh, you know, is competing to start, uh, in the future, maybe not necessarily this spring, but uh, depending, I mean, you never know, depending on how things break. Um, but I think they view Jaden or Brennan um, and maybe even Nussmeyer more as the option this season. Yeah, no, no question about it. Let's talk basketball now. 
the introductory press conference of Matt McMahon spent the last seven years at Murray State and most notably putting John Morant in the NBA. What was what was the general thought of the hire? Uh, especially, you know, I want to get your thoughts on, on the Matt McMahon hire and what you think he's going to do for, for this LSU basketball program. Yeah, it seems like the general thoughts so far were, um, you know, quite positive in terms of, I mean, you, just, you look at his track record and um, he had about a 70%, you know, winning percentage at, as the head coach at Murray State. He got to three NCAA tournaments and obviously he coached John Morant. It was kind of funny at the beginning of the whole press conference president william tate uh was giving his opening remarks and he sort of i think maybe went off track a little bit um and said that you know south carolina had pursued john morant during his recruitment um but he pointed at uh, in south carolina is where william tate was before becoming the head excuse me, the, pre- the president at lsu and um he you know sort of uh gave uh matt mcmahon some props and also sort of ribbed him a little bit for getting morant and uh, you know to murray state instead of south carolina um, you know, McMahon was, um, I think, very um, sort of clipped in his response. He had kind of a lot of cliches, um, but very, very matter of fact as well. And there was certainly he wants to set up this program for the long run, um, and he's going to have to maybe deal with some sanctions along the way. But he didn't say too much about that. He sort of avoided any sort of sanctions uh, questions and how he might be navigating that. Yeah, one thing that I that I read on social media that I like about Matt McMahon is he talked about how he can't wait to get to work on building a championship program on and off the court, and he also mentioned that culture is an overused and misunderstood word. What do you think he meant by that? Yeah, I mean, he's right. It is overused. Um, everybody wants to have the right culture, um, but not everybody does, and not everybody really fully understands how to implement that. Um, you know, he sort of said the right kind of things about, you know, getting that in place. Um, you know, having people do things the right way, the specifics in terms of what he said are sort of slipping my mind at this moment. Um, but that, you know, he, he, and he thing is that he's really got to, I mean, that's a big reason for that, you know, this hire is that the culture around men's basketball has not been good. I mean, Will Wade is, it was accused of multiple level one violations and was fired as a result um, for cause. And so he's got to rebuild this thing um, and, and make everybody be on the right track and make the program uh, and sort of clean up the program again. And so uh, we'll see if he's the right man to do it. Wilson Alexander of The Advocate joining us here on Crunch Time with me guys and Mesh. Seven years, $20.9 million. That's obviously a huge step up from the amount that McMahon was making at Murray State. But the longevity of the deal has to have something to do with the impending sanctions of the NCAA. In your opinion, Wilson, how long do you think it takes for McMahon to to truly get going? And also, how long do you think it is until LSU knows the sanctions that they're going to receive? LSU won't know the sanctions for until probably the end of this year. Um, maybe even the beginning of next year. I mean, this thing could take a while. I mean, you know, when we say months, I mean, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten months, something like that. I mean, the exact timeline um, is a little bit fuzzy, um, but it's going to be a while. And, like, they're probably going to open up the season, maybe not still at that point, next, next, you know, later this fall, not knowing. Um, And so it's going to be fascinating to see kind of how he navigates all that 
and um, builds this roster out without fully knowing what he can or cannot do. Because, uh, you know, while LSU might get some kind of feedback from the NCAA at some point, I mean, they're really not going to know the final ruling until the, la- the hearing, and then it'll come down. And so, you know, he's going to have to kind of figure things out. And what's interesting, though, is because of the transfer portal, that could end up maybe working as an advantage to him. You know, he said, first of all, one of his first priorities is re-recruiting the guys on the roster. That's going to be a, possibly a challenge um, if those guys want to go elsewhere because they would, um, you know, see a program that is not, um, you know, under the specter of, of sanction, looming sanctions. Um, but he wants to try to get them back. And then, you know, even that transfer portal might be really interesting in how he does it. You know, he said at Murray State they had three of their top six scorers were transfers this last year. And so he's certainly adept at, at using that um, to rebuild the roster. Um, and just because LSU loses some guys and you know goes through a, a, a transition here, he might be able to bring it to his advantage. We'll see. Baseball tonight at Alex Box Stadium, uh, LSU and Louisiana Tech. You know, Louisiana Tech is a, a very well put together baseball team, and you know they've had their struggles. Just like I don't know, that seems to be the recurring theme with everybody in, in college baseball this season, what does LSU have to do tonight to get back on track? Because, yeah, they, they did win one out of three against Texas A&M, and that one win was the last game. But even technically being on a win streak, it doesn't feel very promising for the Tigers right now. The first thing they have to do is clean up the defensive errors. Um, LSU has been throwing the ball all over the place. I mean, even the, one of the most impressive plays in that Texas A&M game, Trey Morgan's throw to second um, right near the end of the game to kind of you know save this thing. Um, it was uh, because Jack Merrifield threw the ball out into the you know in, into foul territory. Um, so that, it starts with that. I mean, it, the errors really emerged for the first time against Louisiana Tech um, earlier this season, playing in Ruston. Um, the weather was really bad though, and you couldn't quite tell. Okay, is this is because. Um, of the weather or just because there's some defensive issues on this team. And clearly there are defensive issues. They've got 35 errors, which is the most in the Southeastern Conference. Um, so it starts with cleaning that up. And then you go from there. Um, they've got to get that in underway, uh, you know, sort of under control first. And then this weekend they go to Gainesville, Florida to play the Florida Gators, 7 o'clock first pitch on Friday, 6.30 Saturday, and 12 noon on Sunday. Florida is always, you know, a perennial powerhouse in, in SEC baseball 16 and 5 this year 10 and 3 so far in the friendly confines of the Florida ballpark does a win in this series for the Tigers and Jay Johnson kind of put everything back into perspective and put them back on track for their goals for the season it doesn't put i don't think it maybe quite goes to that level um but it's certainly um, maybe throws the monkey off their back just a tad, at least it gives them a, a slight breather, which you don't really have long in the Southeastern Conference and, and baseball. That doesn't last for more than even a day. Um, but, you know, it's, momentum's just as good as the next day starting pitcher. Um, but it would at least give them the chance, to, something to hang their hat on and say, all right, we went on the road and we won a series against Florida. That would be a nice boost for this team uh, moving forward if they could pull that off in Gainesville. Um, they'll certainly have the chance, but... Um, it would be helpful, but it also wouldn't be the end of the world if they were to lose the series. Again, momentum is next, good as the next day starting pitcher. They could easily come back out and, and get back on track a, a week later. But uh, rather, you know, certainly want to do that sooner rather than later.
Wilson Alexander, the advocate. One last question for you. Spring football. Brian Kelly is giving media more access to practices than the previous regime. What are your thoughts on that? Personally, I'm very excited. Um, I've never um, seen an entire college football practice. Um, I've covered Georgia when I was in school and then LSU now, and um, usually we have access for 15, 20 minutes at the most. So personally, I'm just very excited, and I, and I hope that you know it gives the fans an opportunity to kind of see more of how this program works and see how players are coming along and who's really stepping up in, in, in the spring. Um, it should be it, – I think it should be, just be exciting for everybody that, um, you know, it doesn't matter. It's not going to determine how many games this team wins, but at least give everybody kind of a, an early look at what Brian Kelly's program looks like. Yeah, absolutely. Wilson Alexander, the advocate, has been our guest. Wilson, appreciate you taking the time. Enjoy the game tonight, and uh, we'll talk to you down the line, my man. Thanks for having me. Y'all have a great rest of your night, Matt. There he goes, Wilson Alexander. We will take a timeout, and when we come back, we'll get you updated on the poll question. We'll talk some more March Madness, and then we'll get you set up for the Tigers and the Bulldogs. Here on the game, 137 Lafayette, 104 Wind Lake Charles. It's Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Had a rough day at work? Got lady problems? Not to worry, because you have two wingmen right here. You can be my wingman anytime. Now back to more crunch time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. If you like yourself some basketball like I do, and you love to see some of the most elite dunkers and exceptional ball handlers on the planet, the world-famous Harlem Globetrotters are returning to the Cajun Dome on Tuesday, April 5th, and you can see them live. The game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles is giving away a four-pack of tickets for a family-friendly show. How do you win? You simply just text TROTTER, that's T-R-O-T-T-E-R, to 68683 to win tickets to see the Globe Trotters. Once again, text TROTTER to 68683 to win a family four-pack of tickets to see the Harlem Globe Trotters live at the Cajun Dome, courtesy of Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Thank you, James Mash. I like doing my Price is Right voice. I don't know. It's fun. Welcome back to Crunch Time with me, guys, and Mesh right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Poll question of the day. Early expectations for the Astros in 2022. 43% say division champs. 29% say the World Series. 21% say the ALCS. And 7% say they missed the playoffs entirely. By the way, Chandler Rome mentioned the double play that Jeremy Pena turned in the game today. I saw a video of it. Wow. It was a hot shot headed right for the gap. And Jeremy Pena, full leap, full extension, robbed him and then flipped it back to second for the second out. Absolutely spectacular. March Madness time. Let's finish up our our conversation from a minute ago, previewing the Sweet 16 that gets started tomorrow night. James, number one, Gonzaga, number four, Arkansas. Who you got? Uh, if you if you heard me when we were filling out our initial bracket, I was heavy on SEC. We're only down to one of those now <laughs> in the Razorbacks. And I, I got to take Gonzaga in this one. Yeah. I got to take this one for sure. Yeah. Uh, the, the way that Drew Timmy has played the last couple games and Chet Holmgren as well, 
And if Nemard and Bolton can combine to give Mark Few some good guard play as well, yeah, um, Gonzaga might finally get that elusive national championship. They were so close last year, and I, I think this squad could could finally get it done up in up in Spokane. Texas Tech and Duke. No way that Coach K leaves now, right? Yeah, like do you, like there's no way he doesn't get to at least the, the Elite Eight. I understand Texas Tech's been doing really good, but it feels like he's gonna get they're gonna get some calls their way to to keep themselves in the game, even if they were to fall off early on. So yeah, I, I think they'll keep themselves in the game, and they'll ultimately pull this one out. Even though you feel like Texas Tech should win this one, I mean Paulo Banchero is an animal, absolute freaking nature, potential number one overall pick in, in this year's NBA draft. I am a Blue Devils fan, so I'm definitely going Duke in this game. South Regional, Arizona, and Houston. Arizona, one of three one-seeds remaining, but man, there's something about Kelvin Sampson. There's something about those Cougars. And it feels like Marcus Sasser, he might take them, the, he might take them all the way. Yeah. The, the way he's been playing over the last couple games, Houston has won 11 of their last 12. I mean... You hate to see Arizona go, but I... I think the Houston Cougars, they're still going to make a deep run. Yeah, so I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think they're going to make it to the Final Four, but an Elite Eight run, absolutely, no, no question about it. And uh, the last game we'll talk about today, we'll bring you the other four tomorrow: Michigan and Villanova. Michigan, man, it, it's mind blowing. You know, they they started off kind of hot this season. And then you have the you have the fight with Juwan Howard, and he gets suspended for the last you know four five games of the year, and then you get into the tournament as an eleven seed, and you take down Colorado State, which Colorado State was good, they're okay, but and you know it's not Michigan, it's just it's not Michigan, um, and then. In the second round, they play a Tennessee team that was red hot in the SEC tournament, winning the whole, winning the SEC conference. Somehow, Michigan is finding a way to get it done, and it's behind Hunter, Dicker, Hunter Dickinson and Eli Brooks. Yeah, no doubt. Who 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 are you going for with that one? You know, Villanova's got Colin Gillespie, who who's been a great player, and Jay Wright is is a legendary coach. Villanova's always kind of around. But the way that Michigan's playing, I don't know who's going to stop them. I just I don't know. I, I thought that Tennessee would, would take care of them, but now that they've beaten Tennessee, I just... they, they it, feel, it feels like the, the weight is off their shoulders with that one. Yeah, because, I mean, whoever comes out of that Arizona-Houston game, I think Michigan could beat either one of them. So now we're talking potentially a Final Four appearance. For Michigan, as an 11 seed, that that's the beautiful thing about March Madness. You just Don't. never know. Not even close. I I'm gonna change it up. I'm gonna go Villanova. I only thought they would win their first matchup. No, I didn't even pick them to win their first matchup. I forgot. I I went way off the wall with Delaware. But oh yeah, 
Yeah, blue hens. Yeah, I went really off the wall with that one. But something about Villanova and the Wildcats after seeing them take down Delaware and then feels like they kind of cruised past Ohio State. I feel like they could take down Michigan, and Michigan used everything yep. they had to go against Tennessee. Yeah. They they, uh, they did get their break because everyone's gotten their like three, four days off. But I, I can't recall off top who when the last time Michigan won the whole thing. And I I still remember that crazy shot from Villanova a few years back. Yeah, the Jalen the Jalen Brunson um three pointer to to win it all. You know, the last time Michigan won a national title, God it has gotta be the Fab Five. Yeah, eighty nine. The Fab Five, which current coach Jawan Howard well, actually, the Fab Five was 91. Why did I think Fab Five was 89? Juwan Howard was a member of the Fab Five. Jimmy King, Jalen Rose, Chris Weber, Ray Jackson, and Juwan Howard. Man, how did that team not win a national title? Guess we'll never know. That's mind-blowing. They were the first, They did make the national championship game, however, and they were the first team in NCAA history to compete in a championship game with five freshmen starting. Oh, man, that's nasty. That's why they're called the Fab Five. All right, we'll take one last time out, and when we return, we'll get you set up for tomorrow's show, and we'll take you to the box for LSU and La Tech. Here on the game, 103.7 Lafayette, 104.1 Lake Charles. It's Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. We love talking about sports. Yeah. You love listening to sports. Yep. Sounds like we were meant to be together, or at least friends with benefits. Aren't you glad you found us? Yep. Yep. Back to more of the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Today is the day that you join the Game Clubhouse Rewards Club. Not only is it free to join, but you will get the chance to enter some tremendous free gifts like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse or a $25 gift certificate from Mabel's Kitchen at Cypress Bayou. You can only win that $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse or the $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen by joining the game clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. So sign up today. May sign up today. Welcome back to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh right here. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Talking about March Madness before the break, doing some some digging on social media, trying to find, you know, just whatever comes across. St. Peter's star guard, Doug Eddard, landed an NIL deal because of their Cinderella run. James, as a college basketball student athlete, and I'll give you a hint, it's a food brand. Who would you want to sign an NIL deal with? What food company? Right. Oh man. It's a restaurant. Didn't he get signed by Buffalo Wild Wings? Yes, he did. Yeah. Buffalo Wild Wings. Because I remember I I did remember seeing that like yesterday or something. Or earlier today. Well Yeah, it must have been earlier today because this article came out three hours ago. But yeah, according to Front Office Sports. Doug Eddert signed an NIL deal with Buffalo Wild Wings, and they posted a picture. There is seven wing boxes and a bucket of fries in this man's face. What a lucky, lucky guy. 
poll question of the day before we head on out of here. What are your expectations for the Astros in 2022? 29% 29% say World Series, 21% say the ALCS, 43% say Division Champs, and still 7% say that they will miss the playoffs entirely. Wow. Tomorrow we'll bring you recaps of LSU Baseball, UL Baseball, McNeese Softball, and we'll have audio from both Brian Kelly and Matt McMahon's press conferences and we'll get you set up for a crazy weekend in sports that's going to do it for this episode of crunch time with miguez and mesh i want to thank wilson alexander and chandler rome for joining us i want to thank the producer extraordinaire james mesh everybody be safe everybody be well Send your prayers out to southeastern Louisiana after last night's devastating tornadoes. Hug your mom and them. This is The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Everybody have a good night. We'll talk to you tomorrow.